0: Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Hey, if you have a Bible, I want you to grab it. We're in uh, Matthew chapter one. I've had so much fun this uh, last couple of weeks, just going through some very familiar passages. But as you go through those familiar passages, sometimes you have to mind just a little bit deeper because they're familiar. Stories you may have heard many, many times, you've read through, and you know what's coming. I mean, you've only got two different, maybe three different places you can go. Whether it's John's gospel, and John's gospel is seeing the birth of Jesus from the perspective of Jesus. It's almost as if John, and his gospel, is kind of standing behind Jesus, and he's describing the word that became flesh. In Luke's gospel, Luke is actually standing behind Mary, and describing the experience of Jesus birth from Mary's perspective and looking through the lens of Mary's eyes. Now in Matthew's gospel, Matthew is seeing it through the lens of Joseph. And in Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 to 25, we're going to discover something about the heart of Joseph. You know, what's so amazing as I was studying this week is, you know, of all the characters that are so important in the New Testament, Joseph is one of them. And yet he never speaks. He's the one character, never says anything, even when Jesus is kind of in trouble. I don't know how that worked out when he's God and all, but he's 12 and he's at the temple. And he says, hey, didn't you know I need to be about my father's business? And Mary spoke for Joseph, right? Hey, your father and I, we weren't happy because we didn't know where you are. Joseph never speaks. But the one thing that speaks so loudly in the New Testament is his character, And if you think about who raised Jesus, Joseph would have spent more time with Jesus in the carpentry room, whatever that looked like, raising him up. So Jesus understood what a man of God was by watching Joseph's life. And I think it's telling that he doesn't say a word. He just lives loudly. Isn't that beautiful? So let's jump into it. We're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 1, and we're going to pick it up in (laughs) verse 18 to 25. Matthew 1 verse 18. To take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name, Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Father, would you teach us, lead us, guide us, the Holy Spirit that inspires this word, illuminates it in our hearts, and we have the Spirit of Christ Within us, to teach us, to awaken us. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, awaken us. Guide my words and my thoughts. And lead us into truth, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, here's here's a word that's pretty important in the New Testament. But one we may not fully grasp. It's the word righteousness. If I threw out that word to you and you had to think of somebody who is righteous... What qualities, characteristics would come to mind? What do you think of when you think of the word righteous? You know, in the gospel of Matthew, this word righteousness or righteous, it's pretty essential and central to Matthew's message. You see it throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus said, you ready for this? If you're going to get into the kingdom of heaven, you got to have a righteousness that's Gaiman going up above the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, they had an external life that looked together. Externally, they obeyed the will of God. But there was a problem. Their righteousness stunk because internally it was rotten. It didn't flow out of a heart where life and heart, love and action were congruent. They were not congruent. They were disconnected, and what they loved was really to be in the public square, the public eye. They loved to be honored, to be seen as important in their culture. And Jesus said, you have to have a righteousness where the heart and the life are brought together. And I think what Matthew does is, we get into this story in Matthew chapter one is he leads off this first story about the life of Jesus, revealing what righteousness looks like by showing us Joseph. Now, you may not see the word righteous in this actual passage, but it's there. I promise you. If you study in the Greek, you're gonna find that this word righteousness is here, but for some reason in the ESV, they translate it in verse 19 as just. Or in the NIV, if you have that, it says faithful to the law. Because see, to be righteous means to, in some ways, to obey God's law, to follow God's will, It can also be used as to be right with. So when you're right with God, you're righteous. Or even if you're right in relationships with others, it's the idea of being righteous. But in verse 19, we discover that what Matthew's sharing, telling us about Joseph is that he was a righteous and a just man. And in some ways, he's opening the door on this vision of righteousness that's going to carry us through the gospel of Matthew and showing us what righteousness really looks like by taking us and looking at Joseph's life. So let's jump back into the story and uncover what a life of righteousness looks like. Look at it in verse 18. Here's how the story goes. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, so before the wedding night, she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. That is a pregnant statement. And I don't know if you noticed this, Matthew doesn't explain what that means. She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. He just almost expects us to accept it. It's overwhelming. I mean, in our cultural nuance in our our day, it's almost ridiculous, this idea that the Holy Spirit meets with this young woman and what is in her is from God. It's crazy. Isn't it overwhelming? And Matthew doesn't feel the need to explain it, his economy of words is radical. Instead, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't explain what it means. Now, to understand what's going on, we need to get a little bit into what marriage looked like back in Jesus' day. Well, What would have happened is Joseph and Mary's father would have gotten together and they put a marriage contract together. Now, you still see this in some countries. When I go to Kenya, they have marriage contracts. And a marriage contract has to be fulfilled before the wedding day. Now, they call that period a betrothal period. And in fact, during that time, they would view you as husband and wife. And during that betrothal period, you would have to fulfill the contract. Now, in Kenya, I have friends that are there that uh, live in Kenya, and they would pridefully say, do you see my wife? Ten cows. Ten cows. Now, I don't know if that would mean the same thing to you today. But for them, that betrothal, that bride price was significant. And it showed the worth and the value of their spouse. Well, that's the same kind of concept that would be in, in the first century. And notice what happens. And it says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolve to divorce her quietly. Now, Matthew doesn't explain how Joseph finds out. She's pregnant. Now realize, again, in our culture, men and women, when you're dating, you're hanging out, right? You're together. If you're engaged, you better be together. Well, not back then. You didn't hang out. You know, men didn't even hang out with their wives in the public square. They would, the wives would walk behind, them. they didn't talk. And so they really didn't have this kind of interaction that you would think of in modern terms today. And so there's really no explanation as to how Joseph finds out she's pregnant. We don't know how far along Mary is, but he discovers she's pregnant. And at this point, realize no angel showed up to Joseph. All he knows is that she's pregnant and I'm not the father. Now listen, that's a problem. That's a problem when you have a contract and you're giving away 10 cows and you've made this agreement, and you're moving towards your wedding day, what it says to Joseph is Mary is unfaithful. Because realize, he's processing this in real time. And he doesn't know what God's doing, he doesn't know that God has worked. Now eventually, and we don't again in this passage know how much time has passed from the time that Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant to the time the angel shows up in a dream. We really don't know the time frames. But instead it says he was wrestling Considering, what should he do? See, Joseph, Joseph has been treated unjustly, at least in this moment, right? Now, Mary, listen, again, the Gospel of Matthew is written through the eyes of Joseph, so that's where we're camping. Mary's obviously caring a lot. To be pregnant, people can calculate conception dates, and people are going to realize, okay, Either Mary was unfaithful or Mary and Joseph were unfaithful together. Something's going on. There's a lot of shame that they're going to carry together as they move out into the world, even if they decide to get married. But the story that we see here in this early part of this passage that Joseph has been wrong. What's been done to him is unjust. And God's law, the Mosaic law, said you should divorce your wife for sexual unfaithfulness, for marital unfaithfulness. And so Joseph is sitting in that Now, I imagine because of the way that Luke describes her and the Bible describes Mary, Mary was righteous. She wouldn't have been chosen to be the mother of the Savior unless this is a woman with deep, incredible faith. And when you read the song that she sings in in the Gospel of Luke, it is filled with theology and beauty and wonder. Mary was a deep woman of faith. So I imagine as Joseph's thinking she's pregnant, that just doesn't work. And there must have been that period of just absolute hurt. Confusion, sadness, loneliness, wonder, what is going on? This is not the way that Mary would have responded. And Matthew tells us, here's how Joseph chose to react. He said, being a just man, verse 19, and unwilling to shame her, he decides the best thing I can do is just kind of divorce her quietly, which means the pregnancy probably wasn't visible at this time. To divorce her quietly means that he's not gonna go out in public, he's not gonna assassinate her. You've seen this on social media. They change their relationship status to it's complicated. You start on Twitter posting about marital unfaithfulness or the importance of being, you've seen that kind of relationship dynamic. Joseph's not gonna do that to Mary. And the reason Matthew says he's not gonna do that is because he's just. And the idea is, Joseph is righteous. Joseph is a man after God's own heart. And so we see in Joseph this response that's really putting the needs of Mary first. And again, realize he's been wronged. The law says, here's how you should deal with it. You should divorce her publicly. He doesn't go according to the strict letter of the law, does he? Instead, he takes a deeper righteousness. Jesus said, here's the two greatest commands, and you guys know these already. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And I imagine because Joseph was a righteous man, as he's looking at this situation with Mary, he's running this situation with Mary through those two commandments. And he's saying, as my wife is pregnant and I'm not the father, what does it look like to love God right now? And listen, what does it look like to love God? Mary as I would want to be treated. And what Joseph does, which is remarkable, which what we're gonna see that God does for us is he shows Mary mercy. Joseph shows Mary mercy. He gives her what she does not deserve. He sacrifices himself and he pursues her best interest. And I wanna suggest to you, That's the essence of righteousness. The essence of righteousness that Matthew is laying before us is this idea of mercy. Now, let me clarify. When God is called holy in the New Testament, it means that he's separate. Now, we think of holiness, and holiness is a big word, isn't it? It carries a lot of ideas. But it means that God is different. He is set apart. He's different than us. And one of the ways that scripture shows that God is very different than you and I, God is merciful. Can you agree with that? God is merciful in ways I would never, never, never be merciful. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount shows a breadth of mercy from the heart of God that is deep and wide and it makes God unique and distinct. And I wanna say Joseph is holy Because he is compassionate, he is forgiving, and he is merciful. So jump back into this passage, and you kind of see that righteousness work itself out. Because in verse 20, it says, as he considered these things, he hasn't made a decision. He's wrestling with God in prayer. And see, that's when the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And I always wondered, you know, God, couldn't you have done this in real time with Mary and Joseph together? Have you ever thought of that? It's like, okay, Mary gets a physical manifestation of an angel. Joseph gets a dream. Just kind of bring it together. Clean it up. Right? But see, God wants us to trust him. And that's what's so beautiful about Mary and Joseph is the depth of their trust, their reliance, their confidence in God. And he appeared to him in a dream. Now, in this passage, we're going to see three things. There's an explanation, which, hey, it's needed. My wife's pregnant. I want an explanation. There's also in this a command. And then third, there's a revelation. So explanation, command, revelation. Let's look at it. Verse 20, and Joseph, the angel (laughs) says, Joseph, (laughs) son of David, here's the command, don't be afraid. Now, why is he afraid? Well, Mary's pregnant. And the angel's saying it's not what it looks like. I know what it looks like. It's not what it's looked like. Don't be afraid. Mary is holy. She is righteous. God is at work. So the command is, do not be afraid, and take her as your wife. And the explanation is, what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, I would like a little bit more than that. If I was Joseph, I'm like, thanks for that explanation. But again, Matthew doesn't explain it. It's one of the mysteries we have in our our faith, is that God comes through a woman, and the king is born, the creator of the universe, the one who holds all things, sustains all things, knows every hair on your head, becomes vulnerable as a child. It's a mystery, and Matthew honestly just leaves it as a mystery. So there's a command, take her, there's an explanation, but then in verse 21, there's a revelation. And the Holy Spirit says, or the angel says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And notice, for he will save. He will save his people from their sins. The angel's revealing who this child will be. And Joseph is starting to realize this child is God. This child, as he's going to hear, is Emmanuel. God, come with us. And the reason that God has come near and the reason the Holy Spirit has met with Mary and Jesus will be born is to rescue us, as he describes, from our sin. Now, what Matthew interestingly does in chapter one, and then if you go all the way to chapter 26, so this is getting towards the end, in chapter 26, I think it's verse 28, you're gonna see bookends of he came to rescue us from our sins. And the rest of that gospel is explaining what that looks like. Now understand this word, to save, means to deliver. It's the idea, and what the New Testament does is it takes stories in the Old Testament and then it takes words into the New Testament and you're supposed to think of the story when you see the word. And so what story are you supposed to think of when you see the word save? It's the Exodus. The Exodus story. That what Jesus has come to do is take you out of the dominion of one king, transfer you into the kingdom of his father and of his son. That he's come to redeem you, to rescue you. It's as if we've been kidnapped. And he's gotta come in because we can't do anything about it. He finds us, he comes and he rescues us, he takes us for himself, because sin is a power. It's as much something we do, but it's also a power that enslaves and twists. And so Jesus has come to rescue us. And so what I wanna do is I wanna jump past this Isaiah passage, we're gonna get back to it, and look how this story ends. When Joseph woke from sleep, It says he did, verse 24, as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not, until she had given birth to a son. And she called him Jesus. So, it's a pretty short story. I want to ask two questions. And I think these are often the two questions I like to start asking when I'm studying a passage is, what is it saying about God? You know, when you study a passage, really helpful just to start with that question, Who is God? according to this passage, and what is God doing? And then second, when you study a passage like this, it's important to say, hey, where am I in this story? What does it say about me? How would I respond? So let's, let's jump into that. What is this saying about God? And the first thing it's telling us is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God incarnate who's come into the world to rescue us. But see, like the story of Joseph, who are we? Now, in the eyes of God, we were truly unfaithful. Hosea calls us a whore. We didn't keep our heart pure for God. We ran around after other idols, though we were betrothed, right? We're married. That's what salvation is. This is covenant agreement. God's rescued us, but we didn't keep our heart pure. There wasn't no Holy Spirit that met with us. No, we were out in the world, We polluted ourselves in the world. We were disobedient to God. And what did God give you? Did he give you, according to the law, what you deserve? No. He sent you Emmanuel. He sent you mercy, compassion, and forgiveness incarnate. God was righteous, and he pursued us. What is this telling us about God? Well, jump down into that passage in verses 22 and 23. What Matthew does is he honestly, now this verse in Isaiah is very well known to us, but it's very obscure in the Old Testament. It's only quoted here. But in verse 23, and all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah, and this is Isaiah chapter seven. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. Now, Matthew's looking at Jesus and looking at the historical context of the Old Testament and sees how this is applied. He says it's fulfilled. You're gonna see that in all the stories in Matthew. This word fulfilled is, repeats over and over again. And he's saying the story, the background, now if you know the background on Isaiah 7, it's about Judah, the nation of Judah. And Ahaz is king, and Judah's in a mess. I mean, they're in trouble. And God says, listen, I'm gonna promise you that I'm gonna be with you and I'm gonna be with you through the birth of this person. Now we don't know who that person is, no idea. And honestly, like in this text, more than likely this word is a young woman. A young woman is going to give birth. Now Matthew, seeing it through the lens of Jesus, knows this is a virgin. So he's seeing it differently, but in Isaiah's day, the promise is that this child's gonna be born, God's gonna be with them, and this child's gonna be a reminder that God's gonna rescue you. Now Matthew's looking at that story and he sees in Jesus, this is the one who's come to rescue us. Now realize, Israel needed to be rescued because of their own mess. They disobeyed God, and because they disobeyed God, they needed a rescuer, a redeemer to come to them, and likewise, because of our sin, we needed a rescuer, a redeemer to come to us, and he says this redeemer is Emmanuel, which means he is God in human flesh. See, what is this story telling us about God? It's showing us that instead of giving us what we deserve, God gave us mercy, compassion, and forgiveness. And then when you know that about God, and you know that makes him in some ways holy, right? Different, it's different. Now look at the story of Joseph. Do you start seeing some parallels lining up? Joseph was wronged at least before the angel came, right? He was in a situation where the law said, here's what you do. You take Mary out publicly, hand her over to the religious guys. Now, if they're extremists, her life could be in danger. And you divorce her. That's the just right thing to do. But what does Joseph do? Through the lens of love God and love my neighbor as myself, I want a righteousness that's not just external, but from the heart. And that's what he begins to do and he shows mercy he shows mercy on Mary. He doesn't give her what she deserves. Instead, in some ways, he takes the responsibility of her sin on himself, cares for her, loves for her, and pursues her best interest. And see, when you start to read, and I'd encourage you this week, read through the Gospel of Matthew into the Sermon on the Mount, and you see Jesus taking us to that deeper level. And he'll say things like, you know, "Blessed are the merciful." And then later on, he'll say, you know, Jesus will quote from Hosea and and he'll say, what God desires is not sacrifice. He's tired of your sacrifices. He wants to see mercy. And in the prayer that he taught us to pray, Jesus said, forgive. How? As you have been forgiven. As God is one who is holy in his forgiveness of you, be holy in your forgiveness of others. Because if you know a God of mercy and justice and peace and righteousness and he's come into your life, you should start living in a way that reflects the God that you worship. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is laying down these bombs of righteousness. See, it's not enough just to not commit adultery. Okay, great. You didn't find yourself in another woman's bed. Okay. It's like, good job. But what's in your heart? Are you loving God as you look at women and look at men? Are you loving your neighbors yourself? Hey, it's not enough that you just didn't commit murder. I want to address the issues that are going on in your heart, and there's hatred, and there's malice. That doesn't come from the heart of God. That's the heart of sin that Jesus came to rescue you from. And I want to take you to a place that is deeper. See, Jesus is taking us to that place which is deeper, which means we have to allow him to work within us, don't we? We have to allow Christ to work within us. Where is it that we refuse to surrender to him as king, to surrender his mercy? And he takes it even further, he says, listen, you got enemies? Church, here's how I want you to deal with them. If they ask you to go one mile, how's that working out for you? You go two. If they want your cloak, give your tunic. Isn't that radical? But that's your God. See, we don't do that because we don't believe that's our God, that he is that merciful, that compassionate, that righteous. Church, as we move into this Christmas season, how could we move out into the world with greater compassion, with greater mercy? Because Jesus said, listen, and I'll close with this. Do not judge lest you be judged. In the same way that you judge others, you also will be judged. Because there is one lawgiver and judge, and it's not me. My job is not to determine what people outside of this room deserve or what people in this room deserve. My job is to give to others what God's given to me, which is mercy. And Christmas is a time where mercy comes incarnate, forgiveness comes towards us, and we are adopted as the children. That's a beautiful message. That's the gospel of our king. Hey, as we close this morning, we're going to celebrate with communion. If if you didn't grab the elements... on your way in. I wanna encourage you to do that right now. They're available in the back. You can also come up front and, and grab the elements here. And we just wanna spend some time and, and whatever the Holy Spirit has kind of stirred in you, this is an opportunity for us to bring it to him, to allow God to speak to us, to work to us. And if you need to be prayed for after the service, I wanna invite uh, our prayer leaders to come up and to be up front and we wanna pray over you. And maybe you're somebody right now Honestly, you need to experience the mercy of God. That there are things that have happened in your life and it's almost impossible for you to think of forgiving or being compassionate towards people who have hurt you. And and that's okay. But see, it starts, change starts with faith, saying, God, I need to know your mercy. I need to know your forgiveness. And some of you may just need to come up front and say, would you pray over me that I would know God's mercy, I would know God's forgiveness, and I would experience that in a way that would allow me to bring that compassion to others. Let's spend some time in reflective prayer. Think of these words. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. For God causes the sun to rise on the evil and good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Hey, it's easy to love those who love you. What good is that? But if we love those who do not love us, we reflect the character of our God. That on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, he gave thanks, and he said, take and eat for this is my body, broken for you, let us receive it together. same way after supper he took a cup so this cup it represents the new covenant the relationship established with me through my blood let us receive it together